Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Before we get into it, we want to encourage you to visit our website, Forever 35 Podcast, for links to everything we mentioned on the show. We're on Twitter at Forever 35 Pod and on Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast. And there is a Forever 35 Facebook group that you can join where the password to enter is serums. Indeed. You can also visit our shelves on visit our shop my shelf visit our shelves at shopmyshelf.us slash forever 35 where um, all of the products we recommend are arranged very like in a very easy to navigate sort of way um i feel like people are all often like 
what are your favorite X that's like hard to find on the site? And this makes it a little easier. Um, you can also sign up for our newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. Call or text us at 781-591-0390 and email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. And look, if you lit like the show and you listen and you want to do us a solid, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts hit us up, smash those stars over on Apple Podcasts. And I'm I'm begging you today because I have COVID and I'm going to use this as my sympathy plea. If you feel bad for me today, go smash those stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It does, oh, it does help people gosh. find the show, you know? It's a, it's a nice it does. thing. It does. But Kate. Yo. You have COVID. Oh my God. Do I ever. I am a COVID queen. I, yeah, Dory, I, I flew to New York. Um, I had, I kind of had planned this trip around like a bunch of things. Like my, I had my high school, 25th high school reunion in Massachusetts. And then, and then we had planned a book event around that in Boston. And then I was like, why don't I just extend my trip and I could do a book event in New York and I could go see my favorite band in the whole world fish. Cause all these things were kind of happening in the same week. And so I got to New York. I went to oh see fish. Gosh. Two days later, I came down, or about three days later, I came oh out with COVID. Gosh. You know, a- as has been documented, like many people have gotten COVID after these fish shows. I wore my KN95 through the concert, which I've I've seen fish now. This is my fourth fish show in COVID. And I wear a KN95 every time. And I think I got a little like a little cocky maybe where I was like, mm. most people do not wear masks. It's to me that it it is crazy because I'm like, whoa, we're all in this room breathing. Let's wear masks. Yeah. But at these shows I've attended and other things I've been to, if masks are not required, most people aren't wearing them. But I keep mine on except when I'm drinking water. Well, like jokes on me because I'm, I'm imagining that when I pulled my mask down to drink water, that COVID just slipped right in. Mm. Or who knows? I could have gotten it anywhere. I was on an airplane. I wore my mask, but I still pulled it down to eat or drink. Like I was all I was in an airport. I was on a subway. Like, so, you know, masks are like condoms where they're like super effective, but not <laughs> foolproof, you know? <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. So I believe in masks and I will continue to wear them, but I obviously didn't, wasn't a hundred percent because I was drinking water during this fish concert and I'm assuming that's probably where I got it. So I've stayed in New York in a hotel rather than obviously I did canceled everything I was going to do and I had to kind of push my flight back to LA. So I'm quarantining in a hotel, which like could be a million times worse. Totally. I'm in a freaking hotel. I've got enough liquids. I have access to food. You sent me cookies. You know what? I did send you cookies. I mean, I haven't I lost I did taste that. or smell. Yeah, those cookies are story sent me Levan bakery cookies. And I they did. are the they are the size of Big Mac story. <laughs> I know they're very large. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. So I've been like nibbling on those. So I am I'm doing okay. Um I'm happy once I'm a little bit more like coherent, I can go into like my symptoms and also what I've done to try to take care of myself. I am on Paxlovid, the prescription antiviral medication. Um, and listen, I have to say 
thank you to Dory because she has really picked up the slack while I have been laid up in bed watching many TV shows. So thank you, Dory, for you've just like stepped in. You're like, sit down. I've got this. And I was like, thank God, because I can't I think feel straight. like I've barely done anything. But I mean, I am happy I've been able to do this for you. I'm glad we don't both have COVID at the same Man. time. I know that when I probably inevitably get COVID, you will. I will. Also step up. I mean, I have to say, though, like, this doesn't feel good. And I presumably have a pretty, you know, um, what's called a mild case. I'm not, I'm, I'm fully boosted and vaxxed. I have the antiviral medication. And it doesn't just feel like a flu. I feel like there's a lot of kind of like, mm. there's, I, in my brain, because so many people are like, it feels like a cold or the flu, you'll be fine. Which like, I do have a lot of those symptoms, but I am so exhausted and have such weird brain fog. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't expecting that kind of like brain fogginess. And so, you know, I know the weird thing about COVID is it's different for everybody. And so it's so hard to predict. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that was the, that was the thing that I, that was like my big takeaway when Matt had it, you know, a year and a half, not like over a year ago. Um, just the fatigue. Yes. The fatigue was like unbelievable. And like, I feel like people, when you talk about being sick, people don't, people sort of like discount fatigue, mm -hmm. but like his fatigue was so intense that I was like, oh, this, this feels different from other like colds and flu, like what you're talking about. Like he would walk from like, the bedroom to his office and be like so exhausted. Okay. Yes. This is what I'm feeling like when I get up to go get water. I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. really weird. I, yeah. It's I wasn't really weird. It's, it's so, you know, I, I mean, I just didn't, I didn't quite have a understanding of what that was going to be like. So it is a yeah. little, it is weird. Um, but I also, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Like all things considered, I'm sure you can hear in my voice that I'm still very like nasally. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, I, one thing that has been a plus is that I have not lost taste or scent. Which that is a plus. I hope it doesn't go away because I've been spritzing myself with my perfume just to like keep me feeling happy. And I'm like, I'm excited that you have perfumes to talk about today. I do. Okay. I do have perfumes to talk about today. So, um, wait, which perfume oh, yes. are you spritzing? Okay. So I bought myself a travel scent of Tom Ford Soleil Blanc. And at first I was like, I don't like this, but I had brought okay. it <laughs> in that and voice so, and kind of in that voice. And then I, I brought okay. it and then I was like stuck in this room. And I, every time I go in the bathroom, I just spray it to like, I don't know, feel something in my life. So, uh huh. Now it's kind of growing on me and I actually think I like it. So I'm curious okay. and it, and I think it could be a good summer scent. I don't, have you ever smelled are, this one? No. What are the notes? All right. So over on Sephora, it says it is quote, an addictive solar floral amber and cocoa de mer infused perfume. And some of the notes it says are cardamom and, and ylang ylang. 
I think it's Lang Lang, right? <sighs> I don't. I, I, I don't I mean, know. Who knows? I truly don't know. And today is not the day I'm going to get it right. I got to say, no. Lang Lang. Okay. But it's um, I love an amber. I used to wear like yeah. a Prada amber scent. So I don't oh. know. This is growing on me. This is growing on okay. me. It's a little sweet, but I like okay. it. I'd be curious if okay. you if you would like this one. It's it's a little in the like my like sunscreen perfume family that I love so much. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Beachy. I love a beach. I love a beachy scent. You love a beach. You love a beach. What I wouldn't get to be on a beach. Kate Spencer loves a beach. In theory, I don't um, love sand in my butt, but I do love a beach. I mean, that's fair. So um, take yeah, me on your so- journey. Yeah, so I've been talking recently about how I felt like my DS and Durga Radio Bombay, which mm. I love, to be clear, like felt a little heavy for spring slash summer. And I was interested in perhaps acquiring a new spring slash summer scent. But then I was like, well, wait, I have all these other perfumes that I just haven't worn in so long. Why don't I see if one of them can kind of scratch the itch that I'm feeling? You shopped your so closet. I shopped my I shopped my bathroom. And I've tried almost I think almost all of my old perfumes. Gucci Bloom, Tom Ford Santal Blush, okay. Classic okay. Dory, Tom Ford Santal Blush, the Kai Rose Eau de Parfum. Mm. Their stuff is nice. And the Chloe Eau de Parfume. I also had an almost empty bottle of a perfume I used to wear all the time, which is um, Killian Liaison Dangereuse Typical Me, it's called. Oh, oh. It's a, it's a very dramatic perfume. Um, there wasn't even enough to like spray some on, but mm. I could, I, I caught a whiff and I was like, oh yeah, this is a, this is a good perfume. I don't think it's exactly what I'm, looking for right now but you it's a you nice s- perfume you tend to seem just by judging by this collection like you like a soft floral would that be accurate yeah, I, think I, I think i like a soft floral but i also like like a, a like i like a santal yeah so yeah but i all so there's also another perfume that i actually <coughs> think is the one that I really want that um, has been sort of like my white whale. <laughs> okay. Um, and it is Eric Buderbau's Celestial Jasmine perfume. Oh, this sounds... <gasps> you Okay, we both love the smell of jasmine, but it's very hard to capture in a sense. It is very hard to capture. Okay, so, so who is this Eric, Eric Buder- fellow? Eric Buderbau... Like got his start as a florist. He's like a florist to the stars. But then he also has a line of perfumes and candles and like etc. etc. Um and this perfume is out of stock everywhere. Oh, so I don't nightmare. know. I don't know if like he's just not making it anymore. He the candle is available. And you love that um, candle, right? I, I've never owned that candle. Oh, because these are these so, are pricey. They're expensive. Like these, they're they're really a, expensive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've never I've never taken the plunge because I've been like, ooh, this is, this is a little expensive. It's like it's pricey. This stuff. 
very pricey. Um, and so I've just been like, eh. And then I feel like, surely he cannot be the only one with an amazing jasmine perfume. But I actually think his his amazing jasmine perfume might be the best jasmine perfume. And I should have bought it when I had the chance. And now perhaps Ugh. it is gone forever. Which is the worst so, feeling. Yeah. Can so we that's get, where I'm at. Can we get Eric Butterbow? Booterbow? I pronounce it Booterbow. It could be Butterbow. I don't know. Do you know, know I think- I've been sitting here trying to Google his name and I literally spelled it B-O-O-D-E-R-B-O-W. That's not how it's spelled, but he did no. finally come up. Okay, good. <coughs> um, yeah, even like his discovery kit of perfume is out of stock. Eric. Very suspicious, if let's, you ask me. Let's get Eric on the horn, Dory. Right? Now, wait a second. I'm looking at his... I wonder if he stopped making perfume because all of his perfume, pretty much all of his perfume is sold out. This is this very, is this curious. is stressful. This is not good. There's one, there's like two that are available anyway. Okay. This is a mystery for another time. Um, but I am here to say that my old, my old standby, Chloe, Mm, the, I love the it. classic Chloe Eau de Parfum. I had, I think I mentioned before, I had like a rollerball that I'd never opened um, just waiting for me. And I opened it right up and I was like, oh yeah, this perfume smells so nice. I'm wearing it right now. I love that smell on other people. I, it doesn't work with me for whatever reason. But it is mm-hmm. it is like my favorite scent to catch a whiff of. I absolutely adore it. It's really nice. So it um the keynotes are peony, rose, honey, and cedar wood. Here's a question for you. Yes. When you think about wearing a scent, are you wearing it solely for yourself and your own enjoyment? Are you wearing it so that other people smell you and you smell good? Or is it a combination of both or ni- or none of those? Um, I would say it is largely for me. Like I like smelling, I like smelling a way that is pleasing to myself. But however, I'm also like, I do try to be sensitive to the fact that like not everyone likes perfume. Yes. I know. So, you know, some of like the heavier scents, I think like, if I'm going to be like in it, like, let's just say I'm going to be like in an enclosed office space or like if you and say you and I were in like a podcast, like a soundproofed airless podcast studio all day, I would not put perfume on. Yeah, I'm with you. And actually, I remember, I know for me when I was pregnant, I had such yes. adverse reaction to scents. And I remember you did because I stopped wearing I perfume did. for a while because it I was did. so, it was so nauseating. It was so nauseating. Yeah. So, you know, but like working from home. So I guess this, this does answer your question because like I've mostly been putting it on knowing that the only people I'm going to see are like my husband, my son and my son's nanny like all day. And don't forget (laughs) your dog. And my dog and like no offense to all of them, but like I don't really care how they, you know what I mean? Like it's not like yes. I'm putting it on for them. Um, so I guess it's mostly for me. I mean, I definitely feel like there was a time when 
like I feel like per, like putting on perfume, putting on the right perfume can definitely make you feel more confident. It can make you feel sexier. There's definitely like pheromones, I think, in perfume that, you know, are alluring. I mm. mean, I just remember as a tween and teen, that intoxicating smell of Dracar Noir on Ew. a member of the opposite sex was intoxicating when I was 13. Yes, it was. I had a weird thing happen to me recently where when I was 15, I was in love with a French boy named Romain and he smelled so good. And we never like kissed, but I was desperately in love with him. I have Googled him. He's a DJ now. He's still cute. And, but I can remember the scent of how he smelled so good and he wore this specific cologne. And very recently I was sniffing things at like Bloomingdale's and I think I found it. And the, hmm. I just randomly sprayed this scent and it smelled, I could like viscerally remember. It was just interesting to me that almost 30, what is it? 25 years later, almost 30 years later, the smell of this person came back so distinctly. Like my muscle memory still yes. remembered it. Totally. And that was very powerful for me. I was I was intrigued. Mm. Yeah, like scents like that can really just like send us back to a place. Yeah, it's very soothing. I mean, I, that's why I yeah. like how my baby blanket smells. Mm. That's why I don't wash my baby blanket very often. Because <laughs> I don't like to lose the smell. <sighs> Oh, gosh, that's really funny. Um, well, well, Kate, yes, we should we should take a little break. But before we do, let's introduce our very impressive guest. Dory, I'm going to hand the mic to you since my brain is made of mush to let you introduce. But we did this interview, thankfully, before I got COVID. And so we I did was very present and enjoyed it very much. Um, yeah. So we talked to Dr. Becca Levy who is an award-winning Yale professor of psychology and global health and the author of the new book, Breaking the Age Code, which is a fascinating book um, that it was one of those books. And I think I mentioned this in the interview, but like it was one of those books where I was reading. I was like, no, like this Mm -hmm. cannot be true. There's no way this can't be true. And then it would be like, this is the study that we did to prove that this is true. And like, it's just, it's, it, it will really, I think, challenge a lot of notions you have about aging. Um, anyway, Dr. Levy received her PhD in psychology from Harvard and held a National Institute on Aging postdoctoral fellowship at the Division of Aging and Department of Social Medicine at Harvard Medical School. And she has given invited testimony before the United States Senate on the effects of ageism, contributed to briefs submitted to the United States Supreme Court in age discrimination cases, and participated in United Nations discussions of ageism. She is credited with creating a field of study that focuses on how positive and negative age stereotypes affect the health of older individuals. It was just a, it was a fascinating conversation. It's definitely shifted my perspective on aging for me personally. And then also I think like how I view older people. Yeah, it, it really was. I know it, it caused me to get a little introspective about how I feel about totally age and the way I, I treat others. So it was really interesting. Yeah. 
All right. So we are going to take a short break and we will be right back. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with glorious Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one -on -one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events, there's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, it, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Super Power Short. The Super Power Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing 
as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Hey, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no. I was just gonna say, like, I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it could like, be. Yes. Also like summer sweat under those underwires. It's like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. We are so excited to have Dr. Becca Levy here with us. Uh, Dr. Levy, welcome to Forever 35. Thank you. Lovely to join you. Yeah. I feel like the title of our show is especially appropriate because it's a tongue-in-cheek joke (laughs) about never aging. And you are here to talk to us all about aging and ageism and age beliefs. I'm so excited. Oh, good. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, well, we do 
like to start by asking our guests um, about a self-care practice that they have. So is there anything that you do uh, that you would consider self-care that you want to talk about? Yes, I would say during the pandemic and all of the many Zoom <laughs> interactions mm-hmm. I've had, I find that removing myself from videos and Zoom and just taking a breath and going outside and getting mm. some fresh air in my lungs and not having virtual surface in front of me and just actually seeing real trees and real grass and real outside uh, can really clear my mind. I feel like that's needed <laughs> during yeah. this time of all the all the Zoom. Yeah, yeah it's a real palate cleanser. It's so interesting. It's like we've been almost living in the metaverse just in the last two years on all, all on all our screens. It's like distorted how we almost look at everything in a way. Exactly. Yes, I find yeah the cleansing is seems so essential. Do you think just this is this is just kind of coming out of the top of my head? So bear with me, Doctor Levy. But do you think that? Are the last two years that we've spent on Zoom has impacted ageism? Like, do you, do you think there is a connection to how we interact, how we treat people who are older than us, and how also we view our own aging? Mm, that's interesting. I did hear that there has been an increase in plastic surgery associated with people seeing their faces all the time yeah, on, wow. on Zoom, which is disturbing. So yeah, I mean, I think that is taking in messages about what we should see in front of us. And um, so I think that, yeah, that does point to perhaps the need for intervention so that we celebrate aging and don't feel like seeing a reflection is something that causes fear and um, yeah, I, pe- people feeling like they need to counter what they're seeing when they see themselves. Head Kate. Okay, sorry. Sorry. I, to, I, sorry, I can't see you, so I don't know who's about to open their mouth. I wanted to just first uh, start by asking you to kind of just summarize what your new book is about. It's called Breaking the Age Code. This is your area of expertise and research. For our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, could you give us just a brief overview about what you cover in the book? Sure, yes. So the book is an examination of the impact of these cultural age age beliefs that um, so we know there's a lot of messages about aging that can exist in every culture. And the book examines the impact that these age beliefs can have on our aging health. And it looks at both the what happens on a societal level and what we can do as individuals to take control over that age messaging. And uh, bring about change and improvement in aging health. This is so fascinating. So, so what your research has found is that there's literally a correlation and please correct me if I'm misinterpreting a correlation between how we view our own aging and stereotypes around aging versus how we actually that man, how it manifests in our physical bodies. Is that correct? Yeah. So we know that our aging health and longevity, we know that only about 25% is determined by our genes. So the other 75% is due to environmental and psychological factors that contribute to aging health and longevity. And one of those aspects of that environment are these age beliefs, which is what I've been documenting and examining how those can actually contribute to aging health. Can you can you just talk a little bit more about 
age beliefs. Um, what is an age belief? And, you know, you, you go into this a lot in your book, but I guess if you could talk a little bit about how age beliefs differ um, among different cultures. Sure. Yes, that's a good question. So the research behind the book actually began when I had a chance to visit another culture. So when I was still in graduate school, I had the opportunity to go to Japan. And I went there on a fellowship with the goal of trying to understand why Japan has the longest lifespan in the world. And what I noticed when I arrived there is how differently it seemed like the older people were treated from what I was used to seeing in the United States. So I had observed a lot of um, examples of ageism in the United States. And when I arrived in Japan, I was struck by how older people were much more integrated in the culture. And there was many examples of older people being celebrated in different kinds of ways. So for example, on, the, on television, you know, when I turned it on, there were centenarians and super centenarians who were celebrated as these like rock stars on, on television mm -hmm. and they had this national holiday celebrating older people. And so I became really interested in this idea that there, that the age beliefs that exist in that culture, which celebrate aging a lot more than, than what we tend to do, that those age beliefs might be contributing to their, their longer lifespan. And I guess I just want to like see if we can dig a little bit deeper into this. Like what, what, what would an example of kind of a negative age belief be? Yes. Yeah, so one of the most common negative age beliefs that I write about in the book is this belief that all types of cognition decline in all people as they get older. And we know from the science that that just isn't the case. So we know that there's lots of different types of memory. So there's, for example, there's procedural memory, like learning, remembering how to ride a bike. So that tends to stay pretty stable over the lifespan. And there's other types of memory that actually tend to improve in later life or types of cognition. So for example, there's a cog cognitive skill of thinking about thinking or, you know, metacognition, mm. and that actually mm -hmm. tends to get better in later life. So there, so I think it's really important to uh, think about the different age beliefs. And actually, that's one of the things I, I really enjoyed in writing the book is I listed out 14 of the most common negative age beliefs. And then I investigated the science and almost all of the science goes against the negative beliefs. And not only that, but there's strengths that come out when you look at what the real science is that actually goes is sort of ammunition to counter the negative age belief and actually think about ways that we may have growth and, and skills in later life. It's so interesting because you, 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 your work and what you're saying like deeply challenges ingrained beliefs that we have about aging. And I think I'm, I'm speaking specifically, you know, coming from my own cultural background as an American and a white person, all the, all the things that I bring to the table. But what do you think it is like specifically about American culture that we have focused so deeply on like valuing youth and resenting and, and fearing and uh, trivializing aging? Yes. So I don't think, I mean, I don't think there's anything intrinsic about, about our culture. I mean, we, I think we've actually did one study that we looked at age beliefs over time in the United States and mm. found that 
looking at this 200-year time period that we've actually gone from having really positive age beliefs to, unfortunately, much more negative age beliefs. So I think as a culture, we do have that ability to have more positive age beliefs. And we also know within the within the United States, there's sort of subgroups of people who have much more positive age beliefs and people who are able to navigate some of the negative messages. So, um, so, so there's a lot of ability to still have positive age beliefs in our country. But, um, but I think some of the factors that might contribute to that growing negativity, it, well, one is that we've gone from being one of the most age integrated cultures to one of the most age segregated cultures, unfortunately. And I think ageism can contribute to age segregation or separation of the generations. And that in turn can increase ageism. So, um, I think that's, one of the factors. And then also the increased um, visibility of the anti-aging movement and all of the advertisements that actually have a profit from promoting uh, fear of aging and negative images of aging, I think, unfortunately, has also increased in our country. I mean, some of the studies that you pointed to uh, were just like my mind was really blown. I, you know, or some of the and some of the statistics like dementia is five times more common in the US than in India. I mean, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um or you know at when you were talking about how positive age beliefs impact physical function, if you have a positive if you have a positive age stereotype, you have a 44% greater likelihood of complete recovery from severe disability. I mean, first of all, like the kind of i guess the sort of you know cynic in my brain is saying well like isn't this just kind of the norman vincent peel like power of positive thinking like you know we're just if you don't think positively then bad things are going to happen to you and and doesn't that kind of put all of the onus on the individual um so there was part of me that was kind of <laughs> saying like isn't that isn't that problematic and then another part of me saying like wow, this is really amazing. Like, how can we kind of harness this? So I don't know, can you help me sort of reconcile both of those, both of those things? Right. Well, well, one point to make is that we know it's not just positive thinking. So it actually is very specific to these cultural messages about aging. So in our studies, we adjust for sort of overall positive thinking. So we know, like in our longitudinal studies, we know that above and beyond positive thinking, it's these age messages that we take in from society. Those are the beliefs that impact aging health. And we also know from some of our experimental studies where we randomly assign people mm -hmm. to either a positive age belief or a negative age belief, that it's the age beliefs themselves that are having the impact on these different kinds of health outcomes. And we know that we get them from the culture. So we know there's quite a bit of difference mm -hmm. between cultures and the kinds of age beliefs. So I think the source is these cultural beliefs, that's where they come from. Um, and I think, and it, and it, and somebody could be, yeah, could have a very different kind of positivity or negativity. Somebody could be pretty grumpy and still, you know, take in, um, positive messages of, about for their culture and, and, you know, show benefits. So, you know, I think, I think that the source is these cultural messages. So fascinating. I'm like, I honestly feel like my mind is, is, is blown a little bit. What's interesting to me is that it seems like it, this, the idea of ageism is so systemic that it, it it's going to fall on the, the idea of changing 
an individual's age belief versus changing a cultural age belief is vast. Like, is, is there, is there actual hope for there to be a shift? Do you think? On a cultural level, you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been interesting just kind of reading your work and thinking about how I practice ageism, you know, and, and the things that I say and do and how that's just a, you know, I'm playing a small role in a larger, you know, systemic message. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are and how we begin to shift that. Cause it seems like it would benefit all of us. Exactly. Yes. I think you're so right. And I, I think, and I think it's really easy for us all to practice little acts of ageism, just living in a, an ageist world. It's, it's almost yeah. impossible not to take in these ne- negative messages unless we become aware of them and try to act- actively control them and shift them. So I think on an individual level, there are things that we, we do know that there are tools that people can take on. But to your point, I think you're exactly right that we really need to think about structural changes to overcome ageism on a cultural level. And I, I do think there is hope. I think there's that, that we can actually do that. In, in the book, I present some ideas about, I present a blueprint on combating structural ageism. And it's based in part on other movements of groups that have been marginalized that have tried to counter discrimination that have had some success in our country. And so there's really uh, lessons that we can learn from those groups. And I also think that there is a growing awareness of the ageism. And there's also signs that as a culture, we're taking steps that are getting us close to a tipping point where I hopefully we will see an age liberation movement of people of all ages coming mm. together, fighting for age justice. So I, I think there's hope on the horizon that, that that is starting to happen and hopefully will happen very soon. We talk a lot about like self-care and beauty on Forever 35. And a big part of the beauty industry is this focus on anti-aging and that's obviously a word that's thrown out a lot as a description of products. And I, I would love to get your thoughts about the role that the beauty industry plays in kind of perpetuating ageism and how a, a, an individual, especially someone who's getting older, can can kind of work through that. Because the, the pressure to maintain physical youth is relentless. And I see this now, you know, every year I get a little bit older and it becomes more and more uh, like pushed in my face. Right, exactly. I, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of messaging of the so-called anti-aging industry. And even the the terminology of anti-aging is like the whole idea that we want to fight aging, that it's something mm. bad, that it's the enemy rather than something yeah. that has qualities that we might want to embrace. And there might be beauty in many different forms at many different times in the life cycle that wouldn't it be great if we embraced it in all of its many forms as, as we see changes as people go through those different parts of the life cycle. Uh, so I, yeah, I think that unfortunately this a lot of the advertisements around this multi-billion dollar anti-aging industry are based on trying to promote negative age beliefs and fear of aging and fear of a future aging self. So it would be great if there was a shift in the advertisement to sort of embrace many different mm-hmm. visions of of of, uh, of beauty at different times in the life cycle. Um, and there was much of a less of an emphasis of fighting aging, but rather embracing it. Can you describe, you know, we touched on this a little bit um, already, but could you describe what that looks like in some other cultures? I mean, you talk about this a little bit in your book, but I guess for the benefit of our listeners, like, 
what does that actually look and sound like? Mm. Because when you, when you described it, like it, it, I did, I kind of really stopped and thought about it and was like, oh, that, that would make a difference if, you know, if people were described yeah. that way. Yeah. So you're asking what, what's happening in some of these age positive yeah. cultures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. So one of the examples that, um, something that I learned about in writing the book that I really enjoyed was this example of the friendship bench, uh, in Zimbabwe. So this is this culture that is thought of as very age positive that embraces the older members of their culture. And there's this group of grandmothers who are in Zimbabwe who have come together to uh, try to improve the mental health of their community. And they, the culture itself embraces older people. Um, and the grandmothers are really respected. So they meet people of all different ages on these benches and ask them about what kind of mental health problems or challenges they're having and listen to their stories and share advice. And so the grandmothers, I think, are respected in the culture as being, you know, examples of, of respect and wisdom. And they're given this role. And then they, in turn, um, are embracing in improving the views of aging of the culture. And then they have health benefits and so it's sort of this cycle of positive age beliefs and a culture that embraces aging that kind of goes back and forth and is reinforcing. I mean, it does seem like, well, just kind of based on what you just said and, and what you write about in the book, a lot of this seems to come down to um, like exposure across generations, right? So like just having friends of different ages being in households you know multi-generational households um it it does occur to me that like in the united states i think people are so siloed um and that can i never thought about it as contributing to ageism per se but mm. the way you kind of laid that out made me really think about that and you know who in my life who I see on a daily or weekly or monthly basis is outside of my, you know, five to 10 years within my age and not, you know, there's not that many people. I live far from my family also. So, you know, I don't even see like my parents who, you know, are older than me. So that did really make me think about just the ways that our society and the you know what is emphasized in our society, Kate? Who did we interview? Oh, it was Catherine Jezer Jezer Morton about the nuclear family. Um, we we interviewed another woman who kind of argues that the the American emphasis on the nuclear family um, and the way it's kind of inextricably tied up with capitalism has like contributed to a lot of our society's ills and. Um, <coughs> I had I had like similar thoughts as I was reading your book that, you know, instead of emphasizing multi-generational households, our society emphasizes this like very small nuclear family. And I don't know, I'm sort of rambling, but I just, you know, I, it, it really re a lot of what you said really resonated with me and made me think about um, how sort of uh, confined, I guess, my world is in terms of the ages of people in my world. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely not alone. And as what you described is something that I experienced. So somebody suggested to me this exercise of writing down your five closest friends and then writing down their age and mm-hmm. think about how close they are in your, to your actual age. And so when I did it, I found that, yeah, just about everybody I wrote was within an age, a year or two of my, yeah. my age. And it was eye opening to me because I, I realized, yeah, that I wasn't bringing in people of, of different generations that I had these meaningful like friendships with. And, um, and I think, I think it's something though that we can actively work on. So, I mean, we have, as you pointed out, gone from, you know, being a a very age integrated culture to a very age segregated culture, but we can work on building those meaningful uh, relationships, you know, across generations by doing different activities like yoga and book clubs. And it could be Mm -hmm. virtual, could be in person. But I, I think there are lots of ways of thinking about shared common interests that could bring people together of different ages. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was very, very thought provoking for me. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering crappiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, One Skin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel. I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, we're back. The thing that really stuck out to me was like how we speak, uh, how younger generations speak about older folks. And, and just there was an example given, I think, in one of, the, I think one of the pieces I was reading about how we speak to older people about tech and if they're excluded from the conversation based on, you know, that that is based on a presumption that they won't understand that that's just ageism perpetuating itself. And I'm interested in, in how we change our own narrative and how we speak, not just about aging, but how we speak to older people. Right. That's, yeah, that's a good question. And there's, um, there's this phenomenon called elder speak, which it's very easy to slide into, which is the tendency to talk to older people as if almost as if they're infants or children or like the mm. same language you would use to talk to a pet, you know, so these talking in this loud, simplified language and, um, and sort of a sing song voice. And I, you know, and I find sometimes when I'm interviewing older people, I actually find myself changing my the way that I'm speaking wow. and, um, and actually adopting some of this elder speak language. And, we, um, and but so I, you know, but what I found is if I if I find myself speaking in this slow sing song way that I can stop myself and think, okay, well, how would I talk to a peer? How would I talk to somebody that, that you know, that I'm close to in, in just a, a normal way? And you can you can change that. So I think it's an example of of a way, a way that this negative messaging can impact us without our awareness and can actually change how we're behaving. But it's something that when we increase our awareness of, we can shift. And so I think that's really the important message of some of my research is that even though these processes processes can occur without our awareness and actually impact our behavior, we can do something about it and we can make shifts. Yeah, actually, along those lines, um, can you talk about the ABC method? Sure. Yes. So thank you for asking about that. So, um, so for the book, Breaking the Age Code, I tried to think about a, some methods, some everyday, um, exercises that people could undertake that could strengthen positive age beliefs. So until we bring about structural changes, until we get rid of some of the systemic ageism that we were talking about earlier, I think it's, um, important to think about the skills that we can work on ourselves. And so according to the method, A is awareness, and that's increasing awareness of both our own age beliefs and also these age beliefs, age messaging that exist in everyday life that we all encounter as we go about our daily daily routines. Um, the B stands for blame or shifting blame. So understanding the cause of, of challenges in later life and actually seeing that it's not aging itself sometimes, but it's actually the society that we're in. It's the culture that can impact some of our aging health that we, if we can 
elevate that in our awareness and um, notice the causes that can help bring about change. Uh, and the third, the C is for challenge. And it's really important to think about how to challenge some of these negative messages, both on an individual level and also as on a structural level, uh, on a societal level. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm just reflecting on like my own behavior and also my own perception of aging. And I'm, I'm thinking mm -hmm. specifically like, you know, my mom died when she was younger. And so I tend to go into this idea of aging. It's like a little bit of a doomsday scenario. And so it's interesting just to hear, just to read your work and to hear you speak and, and think about what it would actually mean to change my own perception of what it means to get older. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm spitballing here because this is kind of popping up in my brain, but I just think it's so fascinating. Yeah, thank you. And I think, I mean, I think what you're getting at is, is really important because, I mean, we know that our beliefs about aging, we take in as young as age three, and then, you know, they're reinforced in a lot of different ways in our culture, and it can impact us without our awareness. So to actually shift those age beliefs from messages of decline to messages mm. of potential growth and thriving takes some work. But it's work that we can do. And, and my research has shown that it is possible to shift those age beliefs at, at any age. Um, you know, we got a we got an email. Someone wrote into the podcast recently um, and they told us that they are 42 and that their daughter is nearly five. And that when this listener picked their daughter up from school. Their daughter said to her, mom, I wish you looked like Spencer's mom. And when mm -hmm. they asked their daughter what she meant, she said, um, she told her mom, well, you look old. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this kind of sent this person into a real kind of tailspin. Um and so I guess I'm putting this to you. <laughs> how would, how would you respond to this person? And like, you know, cause it just it reminded me of that when you said that these, um, these things start at age three. I mean, this, you know, this child mm -hmm. is four. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, how would you respond to this person and how I have a three year old? You know, what mm. are some things that I can be doing? I'm also an older mom, you know, <laughs> so what are some things that I can be doing to kind of like counteract? all of this ageism in our society? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And something that I thought a lot about when I had young daughters and tried to think about how to help them navigate all the, the negative messaging that's, that's out there about aging. Um, and so with my own daughters, what I tried to do was to try to curate some of the age messaging that they were encountering. Mm -hmm. So there are these great lists of literature, age positive children's books and videos um, and things that they can stream that that present diverse uh, images of aging and have, has age positive part, aging is, is part of it. Um, but also at the same time, even with all that curating, there's so much, only so much protection that we can do of our kids. I mean, there's bound to be message, negative messages of aging that they encounter in, in different places. Um, and so I think that the, the second part of it is to give our kids 
the skills to notice some of the negative messaging. Mm -hmm. And then when they see it, just question it and try to think about, could there be a more positive, you know, portrayal of aging that they see like in in some video or cartoon or or book and try to get them to think like, okay, well, what is that image of the grandma that's presented? And like, does it have to be that she's presented as such a, you know, negative force or the older woman like in uh, Hansel and Gretel who fattens up the kids and wants to eat them? Mm. Do do we really need a message like that that's presented about an older woman? You know, so I think that active questioning is something that kids are actually really good at. Mm. I'm sure you've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I another Dory, your your question about that listener made me think of another kind of recurring theme that we often hear from people who listen to our podcast, which is like, Am I too old to do this thing? Or like I basically just I've run out of time. Like I, you know, this kind of feeling that like, well, now I'm too old. And I I, th- I don't I think this is part of ageism in a way, this idea that at a certain point we can't do the things we want to do anymore. Like time has run out on us for whatever reason. Um, and I'm wondering if that comes up in any of the the research or the conversations that you have and how we can change our thinking on um, on that on that part of life. Yeah, so you're getting at something really important. So this idea of, of giving up and not feeling like one has the ability to keep on growing and uh, um, in a certain area. And I think that is definitely one of the mechanisms, one of the reasons that these you know, negative age beliefs that exist in our culture can be so damaging is that I think it makes people feel like they um, can't necessarily improve in, in that area. And I think one of the reasons that when we can shift to positive age beliefs, one of the reasons that it can have benefits is it can bring about this added sense of purpose, added mm-hmm. sense of will to live, added sense of um, embracing aspects of, of life. So I, I think it can really make a big change. And those changes in thinking can then in turn bring about health benefits. Mm. So, um, oh, go ahead. I, I was just curious where... Um, oh, oh, in addition to this idea of the way that we we kind of culturally think about aging and individually think about it, what are some other factors at play? I mean, there there's, I, I imagine, and I know you've talked about this, you know, various, various intersections of privilege that kind of come into play with how, how we age, even in terms of just access to care or access to different kinds of messaging. So I wonder if you could touch on, on that at all. Yes. So I think you're right. I mean, it's certainly a lot easier to age with adequate resources and and privilege. And I think, um, unfortunately, one of the um, negative impacts of ageism is the increased poverty in in later life that we see, Mm. you know, in many, many parts of our country and other countries. Um, So I think uh, what, what you're getting at too is this idea of intersectionality is so important. So it's, we know that, you know, people have lots of different identities and when those identities, um, don't bring about disadvantages and they accumulate in, in, in later life, they can have compounded negative effects. So I think, I think recognizing the different ways that those marginalities can come together um, is really important. But, you know, at the same time, though, there are there, there's some people that I talk to in the book who talk about how they've used some challenges in earlier life as places to 
learn some skills that can actually help them encountering ageism. So there, there it can be some ways that people develop develop strengths, but for the most part, the compounding of disadvantage is a real problem in this country. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, in your teaching of undergraduates, um, you know, I think my impression of Gen Z is that they are just like so much more aware of social mm. issues and, <clears throat> you know, um, body, like they, they're body positive and they, like, they're just so much more aware. Does that also translate, like, does that also translate into awareness of ageism? Um, or is that a blind spot, do you think? I think, well, I found that a lot of the young, bright, bright students that, that I work with often they, so when I teach classes, I find that often at the beginning of classes, students are not that aware of ageism operating in society. But I find that, and I, you know, I think part of that is what we were talking about because we've become such an age segregated society. So they actually just don't have a lot of opportunities to witness how older people are treated in society and some of the ways they're marginalized. But I think once they become aware of the ageism and learn about the different examples and they learn the tools to recognize it. They become much more aware of it and much, you know, very angry about it. And also some of the um, examples that you're talking about of increased of that, of the Gen Z's being um, becoming very aware of the need for social movements to improve Mm -hmm. society. They, I find that they want it, uh, apply that to, to the aging community as well. And so there's, um, I think, which I think is re- very hopeful that they could become allies in, you know, an age liberation movement if we get them all on board and aware. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I thought there was, um, in your, in your piece in the New York Times recently, I was, I was telling Dory the comments were so fascinating. So many people were describing just being sick of being called boomers and just sick of the way that culturally their generation is talked about. And it was, it was just a moment of reflection for me as someone who constantly, you know, yammers on about my boomer dad and makes comments about boomers. Uh, Just that feeling of like, it sucks, it sucks to be treated this way. And I, 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 I don't know if that's specific to that generation or if it's uh, always kind of been this way and how we talk about kind of the eldest in our society, but it was just very eye-opening to read their reactions. I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you've seen them at all. I have. Yes, I agree. There were some really thoughtful, thought-provoking examples that people were giving of experiencing ageism and a lot of different aspects from you know the dentist, uh, going to the dentist to... There was one woman who talked about how she had a pain in her ankle and she went to see the doctor and then the doctor said, Oh, it's just aging arthritis. And she said, you know, it's really bothering me. And then they took an x-ray and she had a broken ankle, you know? So yeah, yeah, there was just these examples that were, yeah, very um, disturbing, but it was great that they were, they were were sharing them. I was really impressed by how candid people were being about their experiences. Yeah. This does feel like a conversation that is so overdue. Um, for us to be having. So thank you for starting this conversation. I'm sure it doesn't feel like you're starting, you know, you've been doing this research for many years, so I'm sure it doesn't feel like you're starting it, but I think for a lot of us, it it does. So, um, so thank you. Thank you. Um, So Dr. Levy, where can our listeners find you if they want to kind of follow, you know, your research and your work? Um, 
Yeah. So uh, I just put up a, a website that people can find out more about the research and the work. Um, so it's my name, Becca-Levy.com. So that has more more um, information about some of the research I'm doing and then links to other places that they can find out mo- more about the research and find out more about the book. So, um, so that's a, a good source. And people can also contact me through um, my university. So I'm at Yale School of Public Health. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was such a thank enlightening you. conversation yeah. um, that, you know, I'm sure I, I will be thinking about for a long time. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It was great to talk with you. You know, I was so glad, Dory, to have a conversation about aging that wasn't like, how do we fight aging with like eating mm. eating blueberries and salmon? You know, like I feel like the conversations mm. about mm. aging tend to be superficial and tend to be like how to beat it and not how yes like do we as a as a community think about it and support it i don't know it was such an interesting perspective i agree i agree it it like i said you know before uh when we were introducing her it really kind of blew my mind in a lot of ways so i'm really glad we had a chance to talk to her yeah i am too well Intention zone story. We're here at the end of the show. We are here. Where we we intent. (laughs) So, Kate, last week you were going to (laughs) foam roll and stretch. Okay. Do you want to know what's kind of hilarious? What? So I'm cooped up in this hotel room. I've been I've been in a hotel room for three days. I've got like three or four more days to go. I bought a yoga mat. Because I want to be able, like my body is achy, my hips are hurting in this bed that I'm sleeping in. So I, I mm. door dashed or instacarted, whatever you want to say, a yoga mat. So I'm going to do some stretching on my yoga mat. So I, I guess I haven't completed this intention, but it's my intention to do this intention. Wait, I love that. <laughs> I mean, what is it a waste of money to buy a yoga mat I'm going to use for three days? I don't know. Like, I definitely need, need to move my body and I didn't want to touch the like grimy floor. Yeah. So I think that's a great solution. Thank you. Anybody looking in my hotel room here will see me just, as I told Dory, learning TikTok dances, <sighs> doing yoga and laying down. My intention last week was to listen to my work circadian rhythm. I mean, I think I kind of have been, um, but I'm still sort of like working out. I don't know. I like I, I've been. I realized I was sort of craving some strength training, <laughs> so I've been trying to incorporate that into my life, and I don't know, sort of figuring all that out. So that's sort of kind of along the same lines as you. I think my intention from last week is kind of like spilling over into my intention from this week for this week. It seems like. Like by trying to figure out your work circadian rhythm, it's like feeling out when in the day certain things like feel optimal. Totally. Okay. Okay. Exactly. That's exactly, that's exactly it. I love it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, All right. Well, we're going to say goodbye, Kate. I hope you continue to feel better. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who sent me nice messages because I, I shared oh. my my diagnosis on the uh, TikTok and the Instagram. So thank you, everybody. <laughs> I appreciate uh, it. appreciate you. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dorisha Freer, and Kate Spencer. Produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager. Our network partner is ACAST. We'll talk to you all again soon. 
Bye. Bye.